you know, six months ago, you would have thought like, oh, there's the Democratic primary is, is a non-story. The fact that it is a story at all is a, is a problem. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, June 22nd. Today, I'm joined by Teddy Schleifer to talk about the quirky outsider presidential campaign of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's getting more traction in the Democratic primary than Joe Biden would probably like. Kennedy is creeping up in the polls, getting attention on social media, and even going on Joe Rogan. But will his contrarian campaign be anything more than a headache for Democrats in 2024? And later, Dylan Byers joins Ben Landy to talk about Brett Baer's hard-hitting interview with Donald Trump on Fox News. Was it a sign the network is trying to get back to actual news again, or something more cynical? We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. .me slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. We're talking about the 2024 primary on today's podcast, but not the Republican one, the Democratic one. Yes, there is sort of a primary, uh, at least according to some polls, where Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the gadfly nephew of RFK senior, nephew of JFK, vaccine skeptic, who has been disavowed by many members of the Kennedy family, is polling around 20% uh, among Democratic primary voters. Uh, I'm joined today by Teddy Schleifer to talk about all of this. Teddy, you and I have discussed RFK Jr. on this podcast. We were sort of slacking back and forth with Ben Landy about how to address this. And he raised the question, like, Mm -hmm. what if RFK Jr. wins Iowa or New Hampshire? That's not going to happen, is it? 
Well, look, the Democratic primary is going to have very, very low turnout. The the chances of RFK winning this uh, one of these states is very low, but within a, in a very low turnout election, crazy shit can happen. Mm-hmm. The the Biden campaign has to watch the primaries pretty closely because you know if this guy gets thirty percent, which seems plausible given kind of what public polling has you know is having him like the twenties in some of these states, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that would be highly highly embarrassing. Um, it would you know suggest that there is real unease about Biden as Democratic nominee, which of course there is, but I don't think it's like 20, 30% of Democrats don't want to be the nominee. But, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be in a low turnout race, it will exaggerate the unease. And, you know, it's more of a political risk than, than anything. And, you know, Robert F. Kennedy seems like he's going to have a good amount of money, which I think is surprising. I mean, uh, he has a super PAC that has 6 million bucks. He is going to raise a good amount of small dollar money too. So like this is more than a nuisance because he has actual support and has seems to have actual resources, but less than like a serious threat. It's something in between, which is a danger zone for Biden because it's not as if he can totally ignore it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, RFK is not going to be, there's no Democratic primary debates. Mm-hmm. The, the the Democratic establishment is all behind Biden. So this is not an open race. RFK people say, would say it's not a fair fight at all, but it's something that Biden has to take seriously when he shouldn't really have to as the incumbent president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I slightly disagree with you. I mean, because there isn't, there aren't debates, the primary calendar has been engineered to protect Joe Biden's incumbency by the DNC. And Biden has had softness among Democrats and it's gone up and down. You know, after he passed the IRA, it went up. When he passed student loan reform, it went up among young people. Democrats are just not enthused about Joe Biden, but they also say in the same polls they will enthusiastically vote for him over Donald Trump. And like the RFK junior numbers in the polls feels like just sort of a placeholder slash protest vote. Uh, and, and look, also, I mean, I tweeted about this over the weekend. There was an Economist YouGov poll that showed 49% of, I guess, Americans have a favorable view of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., 30% unfave. Whereas only 45% had a favorable view of Joe Biden. But I tweeted, like, there's no way 80% of Americans have an opinion either way on RFK Jr. Like, he's got name ID as a Kennedy. But right. once people dig in, it's like, this guy, I think I think you're right that there is this is a headache for Joe Biden. But it feels like more of a, like, a, a housefly than, like, a bee. You know, it's just something you just kind of got to like swat away, ignore. And because there are no other Democrats that are sort of, quote unquote, credible running, the press is sort of paying attention to this because there's, you know, in a vacuum, nothing else to talk about in the Democratic primary. Sure. I mean, look, the media is going to exaggerate the Kennedy narrative, too, right? Because it makes makes for more conflict. It's, you know, fills in. Uh, it's a way to talk about Biden's age in kind of a more mm-hmm. accessible way that like, you know, hey, there's someone else who's running. Not that RFK is that young. But that may be true, but like this is also the reality, which is like there is a Democratic primary. There is a media circus around this. There are some states, like especially like New Hampshire, where RFK could be a B if not a housefly. So like this is a legit story. And, and yeah, yeah. you know, like whether or not RFK gets treated as a serious candidate, like it could actually be good for Biden to have greater media scrutiny on this guy. Not not just on, on vaccines, but he has lots of positions that put him outside of the 40-yard lines for most Democratic voters. 
He opposed an assault weapons ban. He has like said that lots of American elections are rigged. You know, this is a guy who is not a traditional Democrat, despite the last name, um, which, you know, the Biden folks hopefully, you know, hope that I guess the media will take care of itself. will take care of the problem for them by, Mm -hmm. you know, highlighting his public positions. Mm -hmm. But like that's this is not something that Biden wants to be dealing with at all. And, Mm -hmm. you know, six months ago. You would have thought like, oh, there's the Democratic primary is is a non-story. And the fact that it is a story at all is a, is a problem. It's something that has to be dealt with. And, and I wonder how aggressive Biden's going to be about or Biden's campaign brass will be toward actually solving this problem and or versus just hoping that the powers that be in, in the media or in the quote unquote establishment take care of this problem for them. I think one lane that Kennedy has is attentional in, in like our current media environment. And by that, I mean, yes, he is leaning into social media. Um, he did an interview with Joe Rogan this week that I literally, by the way, like I walked outside to run an errand earlier and was getting in my Jeep and like the contractor working on the house across the street was listening to the RFK Jr. interview with Rogan on hmm. an outdoor speaker or off of his phone. And I was like, oh, wow. And like I texted some friends too. like the Kennedy thing feels like a very peculiar LA phenomenon as well, or maybe like unique to LA where it's like his wife is, is Cheryl Hines, who is semi-famous Hollywood person, but mm-hmm. it, the crunchy granola left types who were skeptical of the COVID vaccine are also, you know, the Erewhon types who like <laughs> Kennedy. And I saw like a guy out here in LA post on his Instagram story, you know, and this person is not in politics at all. And he was like, politics is just broken. And like, you know, I don't mean to post about it, but like maybe Kennedy can just get in there and disrupt the system because Biden and Trump are both (laughs) bad. And he just embodies this like contrarian granola slash tech slash wellness left that inhabits LA, a little bit of SF. Anyway, that's a long way of saying Aaron Rodgers likes him and has posted about him. Russell Brand likes him and has posted about him. Like all of these sort of celebrities on the conspiracy slash contrarian left slash middle. It's hard to define people who like to do DMT and like we're into crypto are posting about him a lot and he's going on their podcast and doing interviews with them. And so anyway, the establishment media won't treat Kennedy seriously. Like he's just, you know, will be written off in the pages of the Washington Post and called wacky on CNN but more people these days get their news from their screens, their mobile screens, rather. And so if Kennedy is sort of leaning into that space, you can see why we're all starting to hear bits and pieces about him, even if the mainstream press, the DNC and Biden are all ignoring him. Sure. I mean, take Elon Musk, for instance. You know, I mean, the fact that Elon is platforming, so to speak, RFK on a Twitter spaces with 150 million followers, he's putting him on the same platform that he put Ron DeSantis on, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like there's an, there's an equivalency where, you know, that wouldn't be true at NBC News. NBC News is going to treat DeSantis as a more credible candidate than RFK. So the fact is that the small number of media influencers have disproportionate amount of power in setting the agenda, right? Because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Joe Rogan uh, is obviously not a median Democratic primary voter. I don't even know if he is a Democrat at all or certainly a primary voter. I mean, he is not a black family in North Carolina that supports Joe Biden and, you know, is not is not even heard of RFK. But yeah. he is someone who has a, a huge platform and the RFK appealing to these kind of fringe players is going to make him relevant 
uh, for forever. And like, you know, especially, you know, in, in my backyard in my homies in Silicon Valley, I mean, these are, there's are, are tons of tech people that are excited about RFK and mm-hmm. they will have their platforms will stream him all the time. And I wonder whether or not these people are like Democrats or even liberals or sort of like anti progressive or anti Biden. And, you know, contrarianism is, is a word that's tossed around a lot in tech, but I do think lots of these these people are just oppositional to the democratic political establishment. Um, and I think yes. lots of tech people will fund him and, and platform him and give him an audience. So the, this is going to be a pest that I think is going to be furthered by the Rogans of the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that he was on Rogan, who's to say he's not going to be on Rogan all the time? Like Joe, Joe yeah. Biden's not, getting, not going on Rogan. And RFK is, is willing to do these things and is, is going to be on all these platforms all the way through Iowa. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think when you mentioned the the black family in North Carolina, like right now, at least RFK Jr. feels like a preoccupation of the press and sort of very online white people who are either like on social media a lot being professional contrarians or they just think politics sucks. And, well, you know, it remains to be seen if, if he crosses over um, and reaches more voters. I'm also interested to see whether the Bernie left and, and particularly mm-hmm. the part of the part of the Bernie left that just like professionally just attacks Joe Biden all the time. I won't name names, but there's one person I'm thinking of who worked for Bernie and is very loud on Twitter who is like shits on Biden all the time is like sharing pro RFK stories. And it's like, like you said, he's not a conventional economic leftist, democratic socialist like Bernie or anyone in the squad. And yet people who just like, professionally hate Joe Biden on the left. I'm interested to see if they sort of come around and like start to root for RFK online. The one other thought, and I'll leave you with this, is I went back and looked. The last time an incumbent or even quasi-incumbent was challenged from the left in a Democratic primary, and I'm not talking RFK Sr. and LBJ back in 68, but Bill Bradley going up against Al Gore, who was sitting vice president. But like Mm -hmm. Bradley came at him from the left, but Bradley was a sitting U.S. senator, and he got like 36% in the Iowa caucuses, came closer in New Hampshire, but Gore still pulled it out. Again, different times, different media environment, but like that was a serious opponent with a lot of both grassroots and establishment connections. And like RFK Jr. is not, fundamentally is not at that point yet. 20% is more than we thought he would be getting in the polls. But he's got to start to climb over 30 for Biden to sort of like start to like dig in and dump oppo and whatever right. against him. And for, for people oh, to sort of. I think they already will dump oppo. I mean, I think yeah. I, I think that we're at the point where, I mean, as, as much as it is, oppo is yeah. you know, pointing to public statements here. But, um, you know, I, I was humored by, I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago that uh, Jack Dorsey, one of the tech people who is obsessed with RFK, was actually confronted by his staff at Block the other week for his support of RFK. And, you know, Jack said something along the lines of, I don't know much about his position on vaccines. Like the oppo is, it will, <laughs> will be dumped and, and Jack Dorsey will know about his position on vaccines if that is even you know, true at the time that he does not know literally what RFK thinks about vaccines. But I think we're at the point where there's going to be oppo. I mean, RFK does not, I think he's past the point of, of credibility. Uh, I think you're right about that. I stand corrected. Teddy, one other thing before you go, speaking of the online left, everyone go read your piece on Pierre Omidyar, the uh, quirky 
billionaire. That's your beat. But he basically funded The Intercept, which, you know, I'm interested to see whether yeah. they start to root for RFK Jr. too. But you have a piece up sort of speculating about his whereabouts and whether he's pulling back from his political spending and his philanthropy. So everyone go check that out. Teddy, I have a feeling you and I are going to be doing more podcasts on RFK Jr. Sorry, Marianne Williamson, but have a good week, buddy. Marianne Williamson, at least, is on her third campaign manager. So so uh, <laughs> RFK RFK is, is a model of stability, but uh, <laughs> no, dra- no, no drama, Kennedy. All right. Thanks, buddy. When we come back, Dylan Byers is here to talk about Donald Trump's interview with Brett Baer on Fox News. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Dylan Byers live in the studio. Same room. Same room. <laughs> Dylan's here in New York City, which is fantastic. What are you doing in Puck HQ, Dylan? Uh, meetings, source meetings all week. Uh, and I'm grateful to actually have, you know, an office space to come to surrounded by, surrounded by my colleagues and peers. And it's great. Well, it's great to have you here. I'm especially glad to have you on because I want to talk about this interview that Donald Trump did with Brett Bayer on Monday on Fox News, which I thought was pretty extraordinary for a couple of reasons, uh, not least of which is that for the first time in a long time, maybe since Chris Wallace exited to CNN, it felt like we saw a host who was not just critical of Fox News, but actually sort of sounded like a real journalist. Mm-hmm. Definitely a, a change of pace, a change of tone for that network. Obviously, the bar is also very low for Fox News. 
But is there some kind of post-Dominion, post-Tucker pivot that's happening here or um, or something potentially more cynical? Yeah, I don't... I, pivot's a good word. I think it's also a sort of recalibration. I mean, I think if you look at the history of Fox, what you have had for a very long time is a conservative opinion machine that certainly as the politics of the Republican Party have changed, has drifted further and further into a sort of anti-media, anti-establishment, uh, certainly in recent years entertaining the sort of more conspiratorial way of thinking, and certainly one that, you know, from 2015-16 through the end of the Trump years really embraced sort of the, the MAGA world viewpoint in a big way. But you have always had with that uh, at least up until the Trump years, either real journalism or at least the patina of journalism, which has been provided in the past by, you, you mentioned Chris Wallace, could be, you know, before him in an earlier era, maybe a Brit Hume, Shep Smith. Uh, for a while, I think even Megyn Kelly sort of played that role for the network. And everything, the, the narrative surrounding Fox in recent years has suggested a sort of that they basically leaned so hard into the far right opinion that they followed the base off of a cliff. And it's the total embrace of Trump was the first sign. I think certainly the sort of, you know, the sort of <laughs> mad panic after the Arizona call, which led to the sort of Dominion lawsuit. And I think the Dominion lawsuit was so punitive at $787 million with the settlement that Fox recognized that there that there was a line, right, that they could not mm -hmm. cross, that they didn't yeah. want to make themselves legally vulnerable. And then at the same time, I think they heard, you know, from Tucker Carlson, who might have been, yes, their most popular primetime star, yes, their conduit to the base, but was not only making them legally vulnerable, but also leaving them vulnerable to whatever credibility they still maintained with the Republican establishment. And so after the Dominion suit, after getting rid of Tucker, I think what we're seeing now is at Fox is let's go back to trying to walk that tightrope of maintaining some credibility with the conservative establishment, the notion that we do some some level of hard news for at least an hour or two a day. Uh, while also doing everything we can on the opinion side to sort of tickle the erogenous zones of the base without winding up back in court, effectively. And so in that context, Brett Baer become, and Brett Baer is sort of the face of the, the limited news division that they have, becomes a very important investment for them, right? So while Hannity will continue to do what Hannity does, and Jesse Waters perhaps will get a primetime role and, and try and channel his inner, uh, you know, his inner uh, Tucker Carlson to the degree that it's respectable, Brett Baer will be out there continuing to give Fox News and the Murdochs a claim on what is going to be a very important primary election, one in which, at least in the arena of cable news is one in which MSNBC will have no claim, um, given their own politics, and CNN, by virtue of all of the chaos that we've reported on for the last 13 months, is going to have a very hard time staking a claim on. So Brett Baer will co-moderate the first Republican presidential primary debate in August. CNN, uh, insofar as I know, has not even been guaranteed a debate yet. And so this is an important investment for them going forward. 
And while I don't think anyone should have any delusions about the fact that Fox News is still very much an opinion network, yeah. th- there is at least the investment in the patina of journalism, of hard news, of, of real news, it, for, you know, at least in these moments, at least in these presidential interviews, town halls, debates, and at least from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on his show. Yeah, it was a pretty good interview. If people haven't checked it out and watched it, Bayer sort of trips Trump up on his his potential legal defense strategy with all of the boxes of classified information he was storing at Mar-a-Lago. Trump sort of maybe incriminated himself a little bit there. He also pushed him on the fact that a lot of members of his own former cabinet have turned against him. Pence, Bill Barr, Nikki Haley, they're... they're um, yeah, like a, more than a dozen. <laughs> there, there are so many, many yeah. of whom are, are literally running against him for president. Trump yeah. did not have a great answer for that. And interestingly, behind the scenes, Fox seems really proud of this interview, but they, they have been pushing it hard. They've been describing it as historic. And it's funny to me, it sort of feels like a throwback to an earlier era. I know I, I have a little bit of experience with Fox PR, and obviously you have a lot as a veteran media reporter, but anyone who works in this world knows that they can be very, very aggressive about getting in the ears of reporters, trying to correct them, trying to sure. insert their own narrative. I, I remember back in, in the 2010s, even before Trump was elected, I would constantly get feedback from Fox PR in my inbox telling me, you can't call Fox a conservative media network. We're yeah. not a conservative news network. We're a straight news network. And they would point me towards all these different people they have on air, like Brett Bayer, but also like Shep Smith and Chris Wallace and Greta Van Susteren, mostly people who are no longer at the right. network. Right. But they were in, very invested in trying to, to maintain the notion in the media that this was a down-the-line, fair-and-balanced network. That obviously went out the window in the last totally. couple of years, but, but maybe there's a little bit of an effort here now to, to, as you said, at least assert the sort of patina of newsiness. Yeah. And I think, look, it, it would be very easy if, you know, to sort of categorize the cable news landscape if, you know, you just had MSNBC all in on opinion without the NBC news apparatus, if you had CNN never toying, you know, never being challenged by, I think, the Trump phenomenon to have to sometimes wade into a sort of, but by virtue of having no other option to wade into sort of partisan posture. And then if Fox News was just like, unabashedly, you know, batshit crazy conservative. And the, and the truth is, is they, they went to that point, right? And they got not just right up against the edge, they they fell over it to the tune of $787 million. Well, they, they, but, they felt the heat from, from Newsmax, from OAN, from all these other networks that really jumped on the bandwagon of the 2020 election was stolen. And right. they felt like they had to match that in order to keep their audience from disappearing. And, and look, the, the political landscape is being stretched especially on the right, is being stretched so far that there are real questions about, is Fox News vulnerable to losing the base, right? And when Trump calls, you know, says to Brett Baer that Fox is a hostile network, does that, it, for, for, every, for every bit of praise that Brett Baer and Fox News gets for that interview, are they losing a little bit more of their claim on the base to a Newsmax or Tucker on Twitter or what have you? Historically, every talent, big name talent, Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, Megyn Kelly that's left, the brand has proven stronger. And there's good reason to believe that that will continue to be the case. But as I've been saying since Tucker left, in a way, they've never felt more vulnerable just because of how crazy, how strange American politics are today. But that said, their calculation seems to be that where they want to be is straddling that line between respectability among the conservative establishment while still having some appeal to the base. And 
what I would say is that, you know, the base might say Fox News is a hostile network and they might never watch Brett Bear's show, but they might actually still be tuning in for other aspects of it because Fox News does have such a, you know, cultural hold, I think, in that world. So, yes, well, they may also be watching Tucker on Twitter, or going to Ben Shapiro or, you know, whatever. Fox News still has this very powerful brand and is still sort of omnipresent among the politically interested. And so, yeah, do do I think the Fox News PR vehicle is going to go back to saying you, you can't say that we're just an opinion network because we have straight news? Yeah. And they can make that claim in a way uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. because because the <laughs> Brett Bear interview. Right. I, no, look, like let's not discount. <laughs> There's so much throat clearing that has to be done before you praise Fox News for any journalism because there's so much crazy around it. But the Brett Bear interview is theirs. And paired against the Caitlin Collins town hall, you know, I mean, one of those things is a demonstrable victory and one of those things is a demonstrable loss. And, you know, even like they will say, like, there does, it's not just the patina of journalism. There is actually just a little bit of actual journalism there, right? There's reporting from the border. There's, you know, they're the ones who, when the Chinese balloon was shot down, had the video footage and CNN didn't. I mean, there are all these... And I don't think that suggests that we should necessarily say, okay, that means Fox News is a news organization. I think what we should say is that the ability to sort of mix and match news and opinion uh, however you want, whether you're Fox or MSNBC or any other network, is just sort of part of the the business calculation for all of these networks, which are fundamentally entertainment networks, How just how much they decide that they want to balance the, the credibility of news along with the, you know, sort of dopamine hit of opinion is just different calculations for different networks. Dylan, before I let you go, I'm curious about the ratings at Fox these days. Obviously, you you were noting that this network is sort of walking a tightrope and trying to regain a little bit of that sheen of respectability, while also not wanting to lose the base of increasingly far-right viewers that they need to keep the ratings up. Those ratings did drop significantly when yeah. Tucker Carlson left. I, I don't know if they've bounced back at all a little bit. How is Jesse Waters doing at 7 p.m.? Um, there, there's now this rotating cast at 8 p.m. I don't know if they're going to eventually bring in someone permanently to fill Tucker's chair. But sort of what is that late night block starting to look like? Yeah, they, they will. And my guess is that will happen pretty soon. I don't know the exact who will be at 8, who will be at 9. My best sense uh, as we're talking now is that Sean Hannity will sort of be a star of that lineup and that he will be the bedrock of that. And then I think you will see a promotion of someone like a Jesse Waters. Uh, For a while, there was talk of Will Cain being in the mix. I'm not sure Laura Ingram stays in that like solid three-hour primetime block. She might be adjacent to it. She might move somewhere else. And will the ratings bounce back? I don't... (sighs) The ratings will go up from where they are now because we're entering a presidential election cycle and because sure. just things things like this interview, this Trump interview, the debate, and just the general interest, it will be a rising tide that lifts all boats. Except, I mean, I don't fingers crossed for CNN, but they will lose some of the base. They will some of that base will go elsewhere, and they will console themselves because. The, the the advertisers who ran away from Tucker will come back to a more palatable 8 p.m. hour. And so they might be able to make more money off of slightly less viewers. And at the end of the day, 
as we always discuss here at Puck, we're talking about a pretty small total audience, no matter what. Like, right? Like, so if the question is two million versus two and a half million versus three million, it's meaningful for the business, but it, it's not something that they can't figure out a way to work around. And uh, especially if they can bring back, you know, IBM or AT and T instead of sure. selling gold bars and catheter pills. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, you can only do so much Mike Lindell, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I think the top line here is that it is always foolish to bet against the powerhouse that is Fox in terms of the brand, in terms of just how ingrained it is in conservative culture. And I, also their ability to build stars, right? Like Tucker Carlson was like a, a weekend host, right? Who all of a sudden then became this primetime star who really took on a sort of like, became almost the, you know, like, is this guy going to run for president? So can you lift Jesse Waters from, you know, the sort of man on the street for Bill O'Reilly, sure. you know, asking those terribly cringeworthy questions to all of a sudden being a sort of Hannity-like or again, more palatable version of Tucker Carlson. Everything about Fox News history suggests that the answer is yes. My only caveat is that this political landscape pretty much post-2016 and certainly post-2020 is just none of this ever goes exactly according to plan, right? And a lot is going to happen over the course of this election cycle and over the course of the next 18 months. So I think you have to you know, you have to sort of footnote that. But but on the whole, there's reason to, to be bullish for Fox. Well, Jesse definitely has the shit-eating grin down. <laughs> so he's got that going for him. Uh, I'm not going to bet against him. Um, Dylan, it was great to see you yeah. in person, having you here in Puck HQ. Stop by anytime, man. I, I will. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.